You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we've been in this series called Withness. Uh, Withness is our witness. If you're new to us, it's been an extended series. It's anchored in Matthew 25. We're going to be in it for a while. Um, but I want to I want to sidestep just a little bit today um, because I've been thinking about how history is filled with stories of dynamic husband and wife duos, right? Like there's Cleopatra and Mark Antony. There's John and Abigail Adams. There's Richard and Mildred Loving. There's Dr., or, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. There's Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Um, there's there's Jay Z and Beyonce. Um, just these dynamic, these dynamic duos of history and how these folks have brought their gifts and talents that they had individually together and they brought change to their world, no matter their industry. I mean, we, we laugh at Tim and Faith and uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, but they've changed things. They've impacted society actually in, in significant ways in pop culture and even the way people think about music. Well, the Bible also records important husband and wife combinations. Sarah and Abraham, you have Moses and Zabora, you have Ruth and Boaz. And I've been thinking there's this couple that I wanted to talk about today. It's a, it's a husband and wife duo uh, that we find in the Christian scriptures. It's a woman named Priscilla. Everybody say Priscilla. With her husband Aquila. Everybody say Aquila. Now, let's see, it just so happens their names rhyme. Um, they're real people. I'm not making this up. Natalie's laughing like I'm making this up. They're in the Bible, Natalie. Um, she's like, Fred, you're going too far, saying things in the Bible that are not in the Bible. And so when you think about this couple, they're significant. Uh, they're significant because Paul wrote about them and the scriptures tell about them. So in the scriptures, you have Romans 16. Paul wrote this letter to Romans. At the very end, he says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Now in scripture, sometimes these names are mentioned and they come off as throwaway names. You're like, well, who are these people? Because these guys, they did something significant. There's two things you've got to notice. One, Priscilla's name is mentioned first. That's actually a big deal in ancient Near Eastern literature. It's not customary for the woman to be mentioned first. There's a reason. She was a leader. She was powerful. So was her husband. But there's something about her and Paul's imagination that calls him to list her first. The ordering in Scripture matters. And if you doubt that, read the begats. Right? The begats are all dudes. Until very specific women need to be mentioned to help the reader of the Scriptures or the listener of the Scriptures put some pieces together as to where Jesus came from. Significant that Priscilla is mentioned first. But Paul also calls them co-workers, both of them. And then he says that they risked their own necks for his life. And then Paul says, not only do I owe them thanks, but what else? All the Gentile churches owe them thanks. The depth of their partnership and faith and love for Jesus created a life-giving presence. Everybody say life-giving presence. A life-giving presence, literally, y'all, literally in the church and in the early church, their witness and reputation preceded them wherever they went, and clearly they were courageous. Clearly they were willing to do what is right rather than what was convenient. 
They were willing to do what was right rather than what was easy because that's what love does, right? That's what gospel-shaped, kingdom-formed love does. It doesn't operate out of a spirit of convenience, and it doesn't operate out of a spirit of ease. It just does what is right and just no matter the consequences. And so Paul, in the Holy Scriptures, in the Bible, mentions them by name, her first, and says, they risked their necks for me, y'all. It's like Paul is saying, I wouldn't have been able to come to y'all. He would have said, y'all. I wouldn't have been able to come to y'all were it not for these folks. So all the Gentile churches owe them a sense of gratitude. Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, appear in Acts 18, and this is how the story goes. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius, who was an emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. Paul reasoned in the synagogue, which is the Jewish gathering place, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks, obviously for the gospel. Apparently, Apparently, Priscilla and Aquila arrived to the Greek city of Corinth when the Roman emperor set out a decree that Jews were no longer allowed to live in Rome. And although this anti-Semitic nationalist decree that Claudius put out displaced the couple from their home, from their business, it did not displace their courage. It did not displace their entrepreneurial spirit. Somehow they launched this traveling tent-making business in Greece. They encounter Paul in Corinth. Paul writes in his letter, in his first letter to Corinth, actually, that he came to Corinth in weakness and fear and trembling. So Paul wasn't good, I don't think, in his soul, maybe even in his body. We know Paul got beat. We know Paul went through some things. So he must not have been in the best state when he met them. But Priscilla and Aquila welcomed him. They were baptized by him. They hosted him in their home. They even welcomed him into their business. And they provided for him meaningful employment so he could continue on early in his journey to share the gospel with the world, with his world. Priscilla and Aquila, this beautiful duo, this wife and husband duo, opens their house to local churches so other people can learn from Paul and Eventually, Paul even brings them, uh, if we read through the, 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 the letter here, Paul brings them uh, with him to Ephesus, which is this ancient Greek city. They stay with him for a while. Even they move to Antioch in Turkey. And this is when we actually learn more about what happens in their life. So they travel with Paul and they, they journey with Paul. They're supporting Paul. They're with Paul. But they're not only just like passive supporters. They're actually active supporters. Because I want you to look at what happens in Acts chapter 18. There's this beautiful story of humility and kindness that we're about to read about. It's just a short verse. There was an Alexandrian Jew named Apollos. Everybody say Apollos. Obviously has a strong Greek name. He was an eloquent man. He was an aristocrat, kind of a wealthy man and a highly educated man. Apparently, he was powerful in scriptures, an eloquent preacher. People came all around to hear this man preach and tell the story of Jesus. So he was good. He was a gifted guy. And he was, seemed to be a pretty important guy. Well, look at how the story goes. Oh, Acts chapter 18. Oh, I didn't put it in there. 
Oh, no, I was supposed to show you that picture. This is what happens when I run the slides. All right, Acts chapter 18. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. Everybody say accurately about Jesus. So he wasn't messed up in his theology entirely. It just wasn't complete, and you're going to see that. Although he only knew John's baptism. You see that? So he's teaching the way of Jesus accurately, but he doesn't know about Christian baptism. He doesn't know about the kind of baptism Paul's been teaching. He doesn't know about death, burial, and resurrection baptism. He only knows John's baptism, which, by the way, sidestep, John's baptism is not the same as Christian baptism. And a lot of people say, well, I've got to get baptized because John talked about baptism and Jesus was baptized. Totally different baptism. Baptism in the Christian tradition is about uniting oneself by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus becomes your death, burial, and resurrection by full body participation. Does that make sense? By faith. When we see people go down in water, we just see them go down in water and come up wet. But with the eyes of faith, we see them go down in water and come up in Jesus. That's the way Scripture talks about baptism. It's a sacrament, not just an ordinance. Meaning there's something that happens on earth that is happening in heaven. It's the way the Scriptures talk about it. That's why it's important. Apollos didn't know that. But Luke wants us to know who wrote Acts that Apollos isn't blowing it, though, with the message of Jesus. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila. You see the ordering there? Man, I don't like to admit them. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him, everybody say, more accurately. He needed some correction. But I want you to hear me on this. He needed correction, but his way of Jesus wasn't just wrong. It just wasn't complete. Does that make sense? Many of us have grown up in many traditions, many different places, and the way we understood Jesus wasn't wrong. It just wasn't what? Complete. So be be okay with that in your life. As you grow in your faith, maybe as you hear things here, as you get into scriptures more, maybe, as as Joe even mentioned, maybe as you're open up to the scriptures to see things in a new light by the Spirit, don't throw away your history. Don't throw away the way you were brought up. Don't throw away your background religiously. But be open and humble as clearly Apollos must have been, right? Must have been humble because God will send you a Priscilla and Aquila to help you understand more accurately. Does that make sense? For those of us who have always believed certain things that seem to carry out with consistency, let's be humble. For the Priscilla and Quillas among us who need to come to the Apollos among us, let's be humble. But please, in the name of Jesus, for real, be open to correction and expansion and growth. Even about how you see the gospel make sense in the United States of America. Are you with me? Just be open. Have the spirit of Apollos, a highly educated, wealthy man of power with eloquence, who had audiences galore, speaking the truth of Jesus, but who needed the way of God more accurately. And of all the people who heard him, of all the people who did something about it, it was Priscilla and Aquila. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, Talking about Apollos here in the text. The brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. You can see Priscilla and Aquila's commitment to the gospel and the truth. But you can also see their courageous love and kindness for their brothers and sisters in Christ. 
their love for the church is evident. So the way the story goes is after the death of Emperor Claudius in 54, year 54, Emperor Nero reversed the decree and allowed the Jews back into Rome. Priscilla and Aquila was able to return to Rome. And that is where we find Paul instructing the church in Rome to welcome them and greet them back home. When the great fire of Rome broke out in the year 64, a tragedy took place as 10 to 14 districts in Rome were burned. This was a six-day fire. And Emperor Nero, who if you know anything about you know, Roman history, was just a, a maniacal man took it upon himself to start the rumor and blame the Christians for the fire. <coughs> and this began a great persecution of Christians in Rome. And Christians were martyred by decree and just by vigilante justice. And this is when we learn in Christian history that Priscilla and Aquila were killed. They were martyred for their faith. But their story and their life of legacy literally echoes through the pages of eternity. Now, as a sidebar, because I really want you to know this. There's uh, the letter to the Hebrews in your, in your Christian scriptures, the Hebrew letter, which is written to Jewish Christians. And it's a very Jewish text. It's a complex text. It's a beautiful text. If you want to learn about the Hebrew scriptures, read Hebrews. It's the only book or letter in the Christian scriptures that has an anonymous author. Did you know that? Like in all of history, scholars have not been able to figure out who wrote Hebrews. Now, most scholars have agreed that it couldn't have been Paul because the writing of Hebrews doesn't write like Paul. Now, I didn't st there's, a, there's a category of scholarship within, Christ within theology, within ancient Near Eastern texts. Are you with me? I know I'm getting a little nerdy. And within Christian and Hebrew texts, that you can study that you're the smart person who can determine who wrote what, right? I'm not that guy. Just want to be clear. Like, I've touched it, that subject because I had to, but I'm not your guy. So I say not what I say with authority. I say what I say because you need to know it's an option. Many people thought maybe it was Barnabas that could have written Hebrews. But many people think Priscilla did. Ooh, see, I like that. Ooh, ooh, there's the oohs. Because she was known as an intelligent, strong woman and leader in the church. Her name's mentioned first. It's possible. It is just as possible as anybody else. But they think it could have been her. And there's scholarship for this. But I just wanted you to know. And you may ask, then why is it anonymous? Well, there's a reason. Most ancient letters that were written by women were anonymous. We didn't learn they were written by women until later. Why do you think that is? Because in that culture, if a woman had written a letter, do you think it would be taken seriously? No. So in order to keep the letter from being suppressed in culture and taken less seriously, women were given anonymity. And that's what they think might have happened with this letter here. Bottom line is, what we learn about Priscilla and Aquila, y'all, is that they were not church attenders. Everybody say not church attenders. They were not church attenders. The Greek word for fellowship in your Bible is koinonia. It translates intimate partnership. Everybody say intimate partnership. 
Come on, we're doing the call and response thing a lot today. I get it. This is what we do. It means common life. It means being a part of a community where you hold a kind of life in common. You hold a life in common. You hold a confession in common. You hold your things in common. You hold your stuff in common. Remember Acts chapter 2? They shared all things in common. What was theirs was yours. What was yours was theirs. What was mine was yours. What was yours was mine. If I didn't have it, remember we read this like six weeks ago, how even in the early church in a post-Acts world, that when there were some hungry, the whole congregation would fast so that everybody could eat something. Do you remember that? Like that's common life. That's church. This actually isn't. This is a gathering of the church, but this isn't church. You don't come to church on Sundays. You gather with the church on Sundays. Do you see the difference? Come on now, do you see the difference? So you're not like, hey, I'm going to church. No, you're gathering with the church. Church is the people. Remember the thing? Here's the, here's the people. That's actually wrong because it says here's the church. No, here's the church. It also assumes steeples. You are the church. I am the church. We're the church. We gather with the church. Now, the gathering is important because the early church didn't fail to gather. Why? Why did they not fail to gather? Because they needed each other. Because if Bill was struggling, he needed the community. If Ariel was struggling, she needed the community. If Alvin didn't have what he needs, he knew he could come to the community and share the needs, and the needs would be met. Are you with me? To be a part of the church is to be a part of the life of the church. To go to church is to attend something. You can do that for anything. This isn't a spiritual pep rally. You don't come to get fed. I'm not your host. I'm not your chef. And I'm not your bartender. We serve each other. We host each other because Christ hosts us. This is what it means to be the church. Priscilla and Aquila knew it. Sometimes it requires risk. Sometimes it requires putting your life on the line. Sometimes it requires standing with the oppressed and the unjust and the, and the, and the, and the systems of the injustice and put your bodies at risk. Priscilla and Aquila put their bodies at risk. We are a society of closed doors and picket fences and gated communities. We have a lot of proximities at times, but no neighborliness. And too many of us see this gathering as a negotiable thing if we have time to come. And that's not what this is about. We don't weep over Joe and Savannah because they just attended church. We weep over Joe and Savannah because they gave us life. Which actually leads me to the second couple that I wanted to talk about this morning. Joe and Savannah. Yeah, this is going to be real awkward for y'all. <laughs> Joe's like, oh, look at the time. This young couple came in 2017, recently married, and recently graduated. They were only 13 years old when they got here. And you can see that Joe was a happy man. Thrilled at the bride that he had captured. And when they came, they were in the Ph.D. program as grad research assistants. And it didn't take them long at all. I was scrubbing through emails and found the 2017 email of, hey, let's meet for Starbucks. You remember that? Where we met for Starbucks and you told me your story and I shared you a little mine and the story here. And then found another email following up about getting involved in a missional community almost out of the gate. Joining us in mission. And that's what they did. The first thing they did was they became actively involved in a missional community. Now, I want to note that Savannah knows when a picture's being taken of her. 
Joe clearly does not. <laughs> if you know them well, this kind of has some symbolism to it. And they immediately began participating in the student ministry, faithfully teaching students about the arts and music, but not just about creating a love of arts and music for the students, but they did. But they taught them the Bible. They showed them the way of Jesus more accurately by how this young couple who was old in Christ, mature in faith, was putting their maturity on display for children to see within 10 to 15 years' time what it would look like to follow Jesus. They used to participate actively in what was called theology school. We're going to start it back next year, but it's a two-month program every Sunday night for two hours where you're invited to come on Sunday nights to theology school in the summer to learn about deeper things, like really deep things. And what I loved about Joe and Savannah is almost... Like, I constantly was having email exchanges about doctrine and theology with y'all. And I love that because you're hunger and heart for things. And I learned from you. And I would say, hey, Joe, read this book. Or Savannah, read this book because you want to think these deep things. And it would be like an 800-page book. And they would, they would try to tear through it with all of their physics stuff. They were a PhD. Did I mention they were a PhD grad researchers? Like, that's a job. Y'all realize that that's a job, right? Like, they actually have to do a job and do a lot of other work in that job that requires them to not have time to read that book, to not have time to take Sunday nights. But they did, and I saw that in them. And as they served our student ministry and leading small groups, teaching the way of Jesus, Savannah stepped into our foster love ministry and began to love even more deeply the, the, the church as a whole, she would bring to us children who were in the foster care system. One year we prayed for 163 children together, taking care of families who needed that kind of love, families who were moving through foster. She also brought before us, the and we do this still, um, we'll continue to do this, but she brought before us the men and women who work for James City County Social Services and Williamsburg Human Services. When their, when their work anniversaries came about, we as a church would celebrate their work anniversaries. Remember that? We'd record a video and we'd send it to them all and then we'd do flower drops for them uh, during uh, Social Services and Human Services Day. Joe participated in the mission of God too. You can see me helping 3E Restoration. This is when we, um, well, when 3E, not WCC, but when 3E moved in a family who had transitioned from houselessness to moving into their own home. These were not people who said they didn't have time. I'm sharing you their story because it's one thing to share Priscilla and Aquila and put them on display. It's another thing to put on display a couple that's lived right in front of us. Joe served on the praise team. Savannah joined our creative arts initiative when we used to have that, sharing her gift of painting and artistry and dance. They connected so much to so many things and stayed that way. Even into Theology Thursdays, you can see in other things that we would do together. And then, like I mentioned earlier, they just didn't fail to be involved. The Bible says, be mindful of the cloud of witnesses that surround you. 
Joe and Savannah become a part of that cloud of witnesses. And you've left your mark. And you can see how you've left your mark. And I wasn't going to let a Sunday go by if I had anything to say about it with us not at least mentioning this. We celebrate you. And the legacy of your faith will carry on through generations in this church. It's amazing. Anytime a member leaves a church, the absence is always felt. But when a member who is thoroughly and faithfully committed to the common life of the church leaves the church, holes are created. Things that used to happen won't happen now. Roles that were filled to serve and to lead and to love won't be filled now. Unless we are compelled by the witness of faithful people among us. I realize there's an inherent risk associated with the possibility of doing what I've done with Joe and Savannah's story. The inherent risk is that some of you might start feeling guilty or start assuming that I'm putting them on some pedestal to live into. Two things about that. A, I am putting them on a pedestal, unashamedly and unapologetically, not because they're perfect, because they're not, but because Paul used to say, follow me as I what? Follow Jesus. Paul would say that. Paul would say, do as I have done so that you can learn the way of Jesus. It's too easy to talk about following Jesus in the abstract, and it's too easy to talk about church involvement. Y'all, I am not talking about church involvement today. <clears throat> you hear me? I'm not talking about church involvement. I'm talking about the commitment to the common life of what a church is supposed to be. A church that shares in the burdens and the joys. A church that shares in the mission and the purposes of God. A church that really believes that this church has Jesus and is actually death proof because we have resurrection. A church that is willing to give out in courageous, faithful, self-giving love into a city in desperate need of it, starting with its own family first. Does that make sense? That's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the witness of a Priscilla and Aquila who's willing to be more than church attenders, who's willing to be more than say, we'll go when it's convenient, who actually will reorganize time and life to be together. North American Christianity has blown this for us because we've come to believe that we can attend church. But when you go to Kenya, when you go to China, when you go to Korea, when you go to other Eastern nations, you find that church is not an option there. That church is a way of life. I never forget when I was in um, my first doctoral program in Philadelphia, it was a school that had a large outreach to uh, Asian brothers and sisters. And there was a brother from China. He was an underground church leader from China. And he was in the PhD, or he was in the doctoral program with me and with us. And he, uh, he was able to kind of sneak through the system, so to speak, and come and be a part of this. And he was going to go home and take what he had learned and be a part of the underground churches. He was, led several underground churches. So in this one class, we had this very well-known, almost Christian celebrity writer and theologian teaching the class. Uh, he was a student of Dallas Willard. And I was 
you know, just amazed to be in his presence. And he was the reason why I wanted the class and one of the reasons why I chose this particular program. And we spent three days of class talking about discipleship programs, evangelistic programs, and church involvement programs. And finally, toward the end of the day on day four, we had a five-day week. On day four, you could look at the man, at the brother from China, and he was, he was mad. You could see his face. He was getting red. And he raised his hand, and the professor called on him, and he stood up. He undid his tie. He took off his coat, and he slung it on his chair. And he said, you want to know why you are all called pastors? Because you have degrees. He said, you want to know why I'm called a pastor in China? Because I sacrifice much. He said, you sit around here and talk about discipleship programs and evangelistic programs and church programs, about getting your church involved and to be a part of the church. He said, you know what we call church programs in China? Christianity. Anyway, I typed up my resignation letter. Like, like everybody in the class, like he went on. And every one of us were just like ready to like, what are we, we're not even worthy. And so everything turned toward him. And the professor looked at us and said, class is dismissed. And I mean even tomorrow. I suggest you all spend time with him tomorrow. And we all did. He shared his story. And we saw from a different body and a different geopolitical reality how sometimes woeful Christianity has become in North America. Because he went on to tell us that to be a Christian in China, in the underground church community, is to be a part of a family that desperately needs each other. He told us that the persecutions he would suffer were worthy of the love of Jesus. He even said to us, that the physical beatings he would take in China were not the problem. It was when your family would get economically fined for your faith because he said that's when your family suffered because of your confession. He told us time and time again that when the police would bust into an underground church meeting and say, who is the pastor? He said the entire church would raise their hands. You guys throw me under the bus. You have like John and Fred, Aaron... Tanya, Garrett, they're the ones you're looking for. <laughs> I'm like, like, bye, bye y'all. Pray, praying for y'all. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Posted on thoughts and prayers, y'all. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. That's, that's North American Christianity, right? Thoughts and prayers. He spoke of the way of Jesus that we don't have to imagine sometimes that's the problem but Priscilla and Aquila the witness of the early church can help us imagine the witness of faithful brothers and sisters like Joe and Savannah can help us imagine the witness of many others that I could name name after name after name who's been a part of this family can help us imagine so you have to decide today. And I'm going to say it. The pastor would correct me, but I'm going to say it for our context. What kind of Christianity you're going to take on? Are we going to take on the church going to Christianity where we go when we can or we go when we go? 
the membership-oriented Christianity where we kind of consider it just this place that we've joined membership with? Or are we going to take on a kind of faith, kind of Christianity that involves a koinonia, a common life, a church that will fuss and fight with each other because we're trying to do the hard things? You with me? Because we're trying to say the hard things that nobody wants to say? We're trying to act and do the hard things that nobody wants to do? A church that's willing to do the risky things and the brave things and the courageous things because it's the right thing and we believe in a God who provides? A church that learns how to be unafraid to die because we believe in resurrection, which then makes us fearless in how we live? Can we be that kind of church? Are we going to be the kind of church that is trustworthy with the people God sends our way? What I've loved about you as a church and what I've loved about even the Davenports and the Waltrips and the Blanchards and others who have been here longer than 12 years, people who have been here for a season, you have endured significant shifts and change in the life and the culture of this church. And yet you have stayed put because you have sought to be an Apollos. You have sought to grow and to learn. You have been a Priscilla and Aquila, sought to try and help others grow and learn. You have not allowed the church to become about you and your traditions and preferences, but you have wanted God to grow the people of God so we could be the faithfulness of God in a city. That is who this church has been. It's what it was planted to be in 1964. It's what it is still trying to be in 2022. The question is, will we be trustworthy The question for each one of the Christians in a chair right now is are you going to be a church attender or are you going to participate in the life of God? Participate in the koinonia, the common life of the people of God. And if you do, we're going to blow it. And then we're going to ask for forgiveness. And then we're going to get it right. And then we're going to mess it up. And that's going to be the pattern. But when all else fails and everything falls apart in your life, you will have a people that will be there. Not perfectly, but faithfully. And there will be disagreements. There will be struggles. This is not a safe place. Are you with me? Because we will hurt each other's feelings. And we may inadvertently hurt each other in hard ways. But this can be a secure place. Where forgiveness is the mark of our identity. Where we ask for it. And we extend it because that is the way of the cross. And that is the way of the table. And I'm thankful that God sends us people like Joe and Savannah to remind us. So I want to be clear. Joe and Savannah did not have their lives formed and shaped because they attended a church service an hour and a half a week. Right? Your life was shaped through relational connections of missional communities and small groups and active service in the life of other people. Thinking deeply and processing with hard conversations, right? Because that's the way. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.